This conversation is brought to you in part by Shift Creative. Start shifting. With promotional consideration from Volcano Produce. Hey everybody, how you doing today? I hope you're doing well. That's always my wish every morning. I wake up and hoping the world's doing good today. We need it. We need a lot of love in this world and it all starts with ourselves throwing out a little love to everybody. I think that's a good way to start. What do you think, Daniel? Not a bad way to start today. Spread a little love. I think it's, I think it's a great way to start today, especially with the great weather outside. No two ways about that, my brother. No two ways about that. i got an exciting show for you today. Got Daniel Bell coming on, who's the director of produce at Grocery Outlet. He's going to join us today. We're going to talk a little bit, not only about what's going on at Grocery Outlet, but we're going to talk about something that's coming up here in California that I'm not sure everybody knows about. If you don't know about it, well, Daniel and I are going to fill you in. You're going to get a birthday surprise today like you've never seen. We're going to talk about a bill that's passed, what's coming on here in California called SP 1383. And if you don't know what this is, trust me, you're going to want to know what this is. And Daniel, we'll get into it a little bit. Without any further ado, please welcome my guest, Daniel Bell, the Director of Produce and Grocery Outlet. Greetings, sir. Welcome. Thanks for hanging out today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. How's everybody doing today? You know what? It's a good day. It's a good day. We're standing up talking to each other, right? Spreading a little love in the world. That's what I always say. Anytime you can get your feet on the floor. Yeah, absolutely, baby. Anytime, Anytime that you can stand on your feet and feeling strong today. You got to love it. You got to love it. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. And like I said, this this conversation we're going to have around 1383 is going to be an eye opener for a lot of people. But before we get into that, if you wouldn't mind, like I do with all my guests, just give everybody a quick little, uh, hey, how you doing? A little intro and bio of who you are so they know what's, uh, what you're all about. So, uh, yeah, um, obviously, Daniel Bell with Grocery Outlet. I've been GEO now for 13 years. Um, my produce journey started in 1990 with Bonds as a closing produce clerk way back when (laughs) it seems like a lifetime ago in Vista, (laughs) California, it's store number 342. Wow. Um, You know, just as a young kid trying to make some money and got kind of hooked on to the, 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 the union wages at that time, being young and single and trying to get every hour I could to, to enjoy life as a young single guy in Southern California. Um, (laughs) Worked my way up from there to, uh, you know, a bunch of different stops along the way, trimmer, second man, um, produce manager. My first shop was on Balboa and Genesee in uh, San Diego. Yeah, uh, baby. It was great time. Went through a big major, broke, tore down three walls, remodel that store. Went from there to Mira Mesa, California and was there for a year and then got lucky and got sent to beautiful downtown La Jolla and I think it was 2004 and had to be a produce manager there. It was a really tough gig. Had um, to be. High volume rack. Uh, great customers could really sell anything there. Uh, and we did. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, took a promotion in 2005 to produce merchandiser out into the Texas division for Safeway uh, with uh, Tom Thumb and Randall's. Uh, was in North Dallas for five years. Um, great learning experience. I uh, got to see how the other world, other part of the world viewed produce and how things went up there. It's easy to sell produce in Southern California. You know, it's a, it's a much healthier lifestyle. People view it much differently. You go into the Midwest and some of the other parts of the country and, and, and it gets a lot tougher. Um, eating habits change, diet habits change. So learned a lot of great lessons there. Uh, learned about tornadoes, learned about hurricanes and, and the impacts they had on things. And, um, Decided to come back home. Actually, my wife told me I had to come back home to California yeah. in 2010. So I took a uh, job with Grocery Outlet. Uh, Scott Olson had reached out, brought me on board as a produce merchandiser out here uh, 
with Grocery Outlet at the time, we had 137 stores total. Um, worked my way up from there to buyer, floral buyer, produce floral buyer, senior produce buyer, and I'm now director of produce for Grocery Outlet. So it's been a fun journey. I love that. Well, I love the, the, the comment about <clears throat> produce manager La Jolla. It's like first thing I thought about was being last produce manager in Newport Beach. Two great zip codes to be produce manager. Right, right. <laughs> I got to spend five months on strike in La Jolla where we were walking picket lines out in front of the store in the sun. <laughs> yeah, that, it's not a bad day. I was just playing around a golf in La Jolla, but it's still a good day. Sounds. No, I can assure you of that. I assure you that. Well, Grocery Outlet's pretty impressive brand, man, for what you all are doing. I mean, what's like 400 stores now. You got up, upwards of 2 million people coming into your stores every single week. And, and you know, you, you guys have led a charge in what I call the upcycling of food with no doubt about it. You guys are definitely very, very uh, proactive in what it takes to put food out in front of consumers and why you do it and the way you go about doing it. It's relative. It's really is impressive to talk about. So I want to talk about Grocery Outlet real quick before we jump into 1383. I want everybody to kind of get a little bit of feedback, a little bit of idea what you all are about. But you guys call yourself the largest opportunistic buyers of groceries in the country is your yep. handle, which which it's like, okay, what does that actually mean? And diving into it a little bit, we're going to talk about it. So I'm going to give you a two-part question. What does an extreme value retailer mean? And then what is Grocery Outlet for everybody? So yeah, that's a great couple questions there. It's I try you know, not to have shitty questions, Daniel. <laughs> I try hard. <laughs> so yeah, it's for us the extreme value is is we go to market um, looking for inventory that companies need to move. Um, and again, produce is still new to, to grocery outlet. We've only been part of the the discussion now for going on 20 years. Yeah. Um, it, it started with grocery where they would go out to suppliers big companies and it's overproduction, it's discontinued items, it's packaging changes, it's pack size changes, it's canceled POs and things like that, where we go in and we have these, we built these relationships with these companies that were their first call and we negotiate a price on say Kellogg cereals and things like that, where we're not paying the regular FOB prices on these items. Um, and we turn it out, turn it around and bring it into the stores and we sell it at a much lower retail than than what the conventional grocers do out there. Um, what it means for our stores is that our inventory is constantly changing and constantly yeah. evolving. We like to call it the treasure hunt. Um, if you come into one of our grocery outlet stores and you're going to find different inventory in all 446 stores because they're all independently owned and operated. Um, if you go in and you see it today, you Better buy it today and buy whatever you think you're going to need because it's chances are it won't be there tomorrow. Right. So, you know, and it's and it's built on years and years of relationships that our, our purchasing team has built up with these companies um, by visiting them, by having them out to what we call our supplier conference to 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 paying them promptly. You know, that's a big thing that gets underlooked overlooked in this this world that we live in is we pay promptly and fast. So we turn that product around for them quick and we take inventory off their books and they get paid fast for that inventory. So it's a definite bonus for them. They're not put on terms. It's not they're not waiting 60, 90 days to get paid. They get paid promptly. Um, so that's a big part of it. So it makes them want to come to us with these opportunities and these buys. Well absolutely and and the fact that, you know, I think that's really something incredibly commendable, too, that you're paying folks fast, especially in some of the positions that these folks might be in, to your point about we've got to make these changes, we've lost orders, whatever the case may be. 
a lot of times manufacturers are back against the wall. They're extended to a very high level into your, you know, a 60, 90 day, you know, the old adage, pay me in 90 days, whether you owe me or not, it's not necessarily the best strategy. So right, I, right. I commend you guys on that. Cause I, I mean, I think that carries a really big stick. And I think to your point, it's why people are picking up the phone. Well, yeah, it does. And, and you think about it, there's a lot of the big companies now don't have the flexibility to spin and move on a dime. And mm-hmm. we at Geo do. We can change direction on anything. You know, it's berries are just starting to come on right now. We can pivot on berry pricing in a day and change pricing and go from that. For us, you know, we don't have inventory booked. We don't have shelf space tied in with anything. With anything. So if someone comes to us and has 50 truckloads of cereal, we can make a great buy on that, get it in the stores right away. We're not disrupting anything. So it makes right. it really clean for us. It makes it better for them because they're not trying to find a home at other places that are going to give them pennies to the dollar really on a return for that product, or it's not going to sit around while they try to find a home for it. It gets it off their books right away and, and gets them paid right away. And that's a big piece of this business. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge piece of the business, especially in the economy and the world in which we're living in today. You know, you, you touched upon the fact that you have independent owners of your company, which is also incredibly unique in a lot of ways. And so, You've got store owners now all around the country. You're actively, you know, putting out stores. You can go into your websites like, hey, son, here's how, you know, if you want to get information about how to get one of our stores, give us a shout, right? I mean, you guys are actively pursuing and opening up more real estate, no ways about it. How has that helped you guys? Because you have, um, you know, because you have store owners all around the country, right? It's got to make you a stronger part of the local communities. And how have you played on that a little bit? Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations. This episode is sponsored by Shift Creative. Shift Creative brings a fresh approach to design and marketing. Shift's team of expert designers and strategists create content that connects and engages. Our clients are a collaborative part of our process, working directly with the creative team to build their award-winning projects. Specializing in branding, messaging, packaging, marketing, and websites with decades of experience serving the food, agricultural, service, and tech industries, Shift can help your brand to tell its story. Visit StartShifting.com to get started. Make a difference with your marketing. Freshen up with Shift Creative. Uh, that's that's a big part of who we are and, and part of what Grocery Outlet is all about is our operators live in the community their store is in. It's I like to use the analogy, it's a throwback to the old school neighborhood mom and pop grocery store that was on the corner yeah. with 446 stores buying power behind it. You know, that, that mom and pop retailer has gone away because they can't compete against the bigger stores and the retailers. But for us, they live in the neighborhoods. They know their neighborhoods. They're in the stores every day for hours and hours a day. Their husband and wife teams, they, their kids sometimes work in the stores when they're old enough. You know, they're going and supporting local charities. They're going out to local events, fundraisers and things like that. So they're really deeply ingrained into the community. And that's how they're successful. And that's what makes this brand and this company so much fun to be a part of. A hundred percent. I think there's something to be said when the owner of a business is inside their business. Uh, I really do. It doesn't matter what it is, any kind of business across, across the board. I just think that there becomes not only a level of service that you a high level of service generally, but I think it has something to do that's really powerfully culturally inside the organization as well, right? Because it is 
there is somebody you could walk into. There is somebody that owns, I mean, they, you know, they've got all the keys. They own the place and they have a vested interest. It's much different in a lot of ways than, than a corporate run store. And I'm not just picking on groceries itself, but it could be a shoe store. It could be anything along those lines. You have that disconnect. I think it's really powerful the way you guys have done that and continue to do that. Yeah. You, you think when you go into a store, if there's an issue or you want to talk to somebody, you ask for the manager and somebody come bring somebody up and they say, are you the manager? They, no, I'm the owner. Mm-hmm. And that right there is a totally different interaction. And that's, I'm not speaking to somebody that works for a huge corporation. I'm talking to the person that's actual owning this business is tied into this business, makes their living, feeds their family, provides for their family here. So it's a much different and much more personal interaction. And I think that, I, I think you see it in the check stands. I think you see it in, in the way people interact with their customers. I, I, it's It's just in this day and age of, customer service kind of being a forgotten piece of this industry. No I doubt. It's a great throwback to, to getting back to that. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I think that the brands that are out there that are looking to expand and to grow, I mean, look, you've got an opportunity to have your voice heard inside of, to your point of, of family run businesses all around the country. And I think it's really, really powerful. And I think it's something that when you think about customer service, you think about brand you know, equity, you think about brands improving themselves, having a voice or having people support you like that is you know, that's a really nice lift to have. And it costs really nothing to do, right. which is even better. Right. <laughs> so from your perspective, though, what you've done, because of the way you guys are, right, because you are a value retail, you are out, you know, doing things a little differently than the most. You know, how has retail changed with this economy and all the things that have happened? Just, I'll throw it into 24 months. That might be too long of a window with all the changes we've gone through. So I'll let you run with it. Well, it's gotten really easy. It's gotten really hard and it's kind of gone back to normal. So with COVID, it it got easy because you could sell anything. I mean, people were just literally grabbing whatever you had, um, which was great for everybody because it drove everybody's numbers to crazy places. Then you came to the the hangover from the COVID piece of it where you were comping those crazy numbers. And now we're kind of approaching back to, I think, a normal normalcy on the retail side of life. Um, It's, you know, it's... from where I'm at on the retail, how it's changed in the 30 plus years, it's, you know, it's, you can see the overhead piece of the business weighing more and more on the everyday decisions that are made out there for the stores and how stores are run. Um, maybe it's just, I understand it more than I did 32 years ago when I was just starting out as a produce clerk. Um, but you can, you can see how companies are going about how they're setting their stores up, how they're merchandising, how stores are cookie cutter done now. There, there's mm-hmm. no individuality to these to these chains now. I mean, when I was a produce manager, I, a produce manager, I think one of my strengths was I bent my department to whatever the neighborhood I was in was. Mm-hmm. You know, I merchandised it to that. When I was in Mira Mesa, it was a go, go, sell all the ad stuff and drive them into the department to try to find some other extra sales with it. I go to La Jolla and I could sell anything for any price. It didn't matter. So I I think the efficiencies and how some of the big companies run their business because of how big they are and and the way they set their stores up is effective for them in a lot of ways, but I think it's also very limiting. And I think that's our niche and that's how we fit in with our, with our owner operators and the neighborhoods that we go into is they get to adjust their inventory levels. They get to adjust what they carry. They get to adjust how they carry it, how they merchandise their stores. It's all up to them to do it around who their shoppers really are and what their shoppers tell them that they want. 
Yeah, I think that's great. Again, but that's about being in the neighborhood, right? I mean, you can't, you know, you can't cookie cutter one neighbor, one zip code to another, right? I think every every neighborhood has personality. And I think it's great when stores represent that. There's no doubt. What do you think coming up now? Because we are dealing with what we've got. You know, the economy is what it is. Uh, what are your thoughts about the next 12 months when it comes to retail? More crazy? Are you going to have to get another rule book? We need scorecards. What do we need? I think this this inflation thing has everybody scared. I think it it has everybody kind of on their heels. You know, I think it's 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 definitely, you know, uh, from a perishable department standpoint, you're watching what you're doing. Again, we all want to try to gain market share. We all want to try to 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 drive our numbers and drive traffic. But again, it's with cost of goods going up and things, you know, last year's price point might not be a reality this year. You know, things you may have done in the past might not be a reality anymore. You have to take a look at retails. Traditionally, you may have stayed away from and and try them. We've done it on a couple of different items and produce and we've had success and we've not had success with some of them. Um, I, I think you just have to really know your business know who your customers are and, and try to stay loyal to what you do well um, and, and be creative, but not go too far down any kind of side roads. Well, I, I think sometimes too, we get in these situations economically or whatever the case may be. I think we try to be real quickly pivot to become all things to all people. And I think that becomes the death of brands, right? I, I think that you just, you, you're seeing it now with some of these brands trying to be all things to all people. And it's not working. Be who you are. Stay true to your values. Stay. You know, I always think about it's like what got you here. Like there was the first step of that ladder that you stepped on that got you to the second one, and we forget that we always live in the moment. Like, oh, we're almost to the top. We got to keep doing what we're doing. It's like, no, you got to get back down to the basics and remember that's what built you the opportunity to have the voice that you have. And I think it's a powerful lesson for people to recognize. Yeah, I think you know something. You did something really, really well to get you to this point where you're at. To try to recreate the wheel and change and spin on the top is probably not going to work for you. You know, I'm a Southern California kid. I grew up watching USC football and student body left and student body right. Worked really, really great for a long time. Um, You know, it's, it, you, you do what you do and you do it well. And if it's, you execute six plays and you execute those six plays, great. Then you go with it. Um, I think, You know, again, as a as a store that's evolving and changing, I mean, we've in my 13 years, we've changed and come a long ways in a lot of different things and produce. But I think, again, we're limited skew retailer. This is who we are and what we do. We just have to make sure that we do what we do better than we did yesterday. Yeah, I think that's a great mantra. I think that's a great marching order for any business to take a look at it. But that's really a holistic way of looking. That's really an, an a, a very approachable um, management style in a lot of ways. Like what is working? Why does it work? And how do we improve upon that versus that FOMO? Oh my God, somebody yeah. did something that I got to go do. I just think, to, you know, especially a downturn economy, I just think that's kind of a suicide march in, march in a lot of ways. Yeah. Again, and, and again, I'm speaking towards other people's business. So it's, you, you see companies that they're spinning so much, they lose themselves and they're not, they're actually, instead of going forward, they're going backwards because yep. they're changing everything. Their customers don't know what's going on and they're losing that. So their customers, instead of being comfortable where they're at and shopping and, and finding what they want, they're like, you know what? I'm going back to this other place because they're stable. And at least I, they, they're going to have what I, what I need and what I want. Correct. Um, I 100- yeah, agree. 
I think it's uh, yeah, it's powerful. I think I think you, you've given it. You can remember. I like, and by the way, the USC football reference. You know, you don't have to take much for you to get fired up about USC football <laughs> at all. It's that time of year. Yeah, as long as you don't. Know, you know, and I've got so many friends in the southeast and up on the broadcast. And I have to listen to that SEC stuff all the time, and the Georgia this and Alabama that, and uh, it's just eh, too much. Let's, let's get right. the West Coast rolling. We need to get you know we need to get a Pac-12 national championship coming around pretty quick. Hopefully, SC is working on that right now. I hope so. All right, we digress from that. I could talk about SC football. And I love it. <laughs> let's switch gears. You know, now we kind of frame this up a little bit. Let's switch gears and talk about this 1383 that's coming out here in California that people need to know about. And bottom line issue, folks, if you're a food manufacturer in this country, really anywhere, doesn't matter if you're living in California, growing in California, this is going to affect you. And I'm going to share with everybody a little frame up. And then Daniel and I are going to talk about it a little bit, just kind of give everybody a little, little something to digest and, and, to, uh, and, and to think about. So California SB 1383 is a bill that sets goals to reduce the disposal of organic waste in landfills, including edible food. The bill's purpose is to try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, such as methane, but yet, and also address food insecurity in California. So the law requires that statewide 20% of the edible food that would otherwise be disposed of in the garbage or composted will be recovered now for human consumption by 2025. Now, with that being said, I'm going to lean into this and I'll take the hate mail. This is just kind of like the electric car idea, right? <laughs> it is fantastic idea. I love it. It's great. And we have no idea what we're asking the world to do on behalf of this. So Dan and I are going to tackle this a little bit so everybody gets their mind around it. So Dan, I'm going to go with you. First question, man, what is your reaction to this? Well, you're talking to someone that drives a Chevy Silverado with eight cylinders that drinks gas like it's nobody's business. So <laughs> good analogy. Um, you know, I think it's a noble cause, you know, like we talked about last week, I think it's a, it's a noble yeah. idea. My fears on this, and again, being coming from a company like we do, where we have 446 different independent operators and a bunch, 240 in California, is how is it going to impact them? What is it going to do to their cost of business and operating business in a state that's already extremely difficult to be profitable and operate a business in? Yeah. Um, I think I think there's one great fix all to all this. I think there's one easy solution to all of this that nobody has kicked tires on that Gavin Newsom talked about in 2008 when he was running for office. And that's is there's enough food in California to feed everybody. We need to make it affordable. Well, the best way to reduce food waste is to make it more affordable and lower prices and get back to an old fashioned way of selling more for less and driving. Mm -hmm. It's probably not feasible. It's probably a fantasy. But at this point, the way the more cost that we add into doing business every day for businesses and stores and farmers and growers, the higher those retails go, the further we drop that middle to low income family down in the pecking order of what how far mom's twenty dollars go right to family, and the harder we make it on them. So are we driving that wedge bigger, farther, and deeper into the problem? Or are we actually trying to solve it? I, I think. There's no reason we should have food going to waste in this country. There's just not. But we've not been able to solve that, whether it's through food bank donations at store level, you know, the the ugly produce type things that have been out there, different programs that have been set up. 
but none have been really executed great. Now, is that because not everybody's been behind it because there hasn't been a law and that hasn't forced everybody's hands? Maybe. But I think at the end of the day, when government gets involved and does these things, things become more convoluted, things become more expensive, things become harder for the farmers to be profitable and make money and to operate with, they ultimately have to pass that cost on to the, the wholesalers and, and the retailers who ultimately have to pass that cost on to the customers. So it's, 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 it's going to be a challenge. It's, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Well, sure. look, food waste is a huge problem in this country. And, I, and the easiest stat that I think put in perspective of food waste, it's the equivalent of every single American, young and old, throwing away 650 apples apiece. That's the food waste problem in this country. It is a very big problem. That is not a number you can put on your phone and type in, you know, 333 million by 650. You're going to have to turn the phone sideways if you want to try to get all those numbers to come up because it's a very, very large number. So I love the effort of what we're trying to get accomplished here. But when you think about it from the food manufacturer standpoint of what's going to be going on, a couple things that come to mind. Obviously, you all at retail are going to have to figure out how to make that food travel on to help feed people that are hungry. Love it. Again, love it. But here's some of the scenarios or some of the things I throw out and some of the thoughts that I have. One of what, where's the food safety liability now <laughs> go? Who owns that food safety liability at that point? Logistics, right, is going to be an issue of how you're going to do it, right? How are you going to do it from the store level to get it back to a central distribution? You have people pick it up the back door. How does that work? How does your labor issue going to work in that? And then really the industry, the thing that I think everybody needs to recognize is you all going to be changing your pack sizes pretty quick to accommodate shrink, right? Because if you're buying a box of 24 count something that you know you shrink out hard, are you going to be going to an eight count, driving more packaging into the equation, all these other things? So I say all that to throw back at you. And I guess my question to you is, A, kind of what we talked about, what's the industry need to be thinking about, but how's that going to change your go-to-market strategy a little bit? Well, I think it goes all, all the way through it. I mean, you, you talk about, you know, how does the store reduce shrink? Okay, well, great. More to the point about, okay, so we have to try a store, and I'll use our stores as an example, have to take the food that's unsellable, they donate it to a food bank. Okay, well, worst case scenario, somebody gets sick. You talked about the food safety part of it. Who does that now fall back onto? Right. And how is it traceable? If it's taken out of a package and passed on, how is that, where's the traceability in that? Who's insurance and liability at that point? Is, is this on? Is it on the state or is it on the agency you take it to? Is it on the retailer? How does that play out? Um, as far as pack sizes and everything, I mean, if, if we get into that and, and it's always been one of my biggest P's in this industry is, is the word shrink is the most over, overused word in our industry um, yeah. because you have to have good shrink. There's, there is such a thing as good shrink in produce. When we start thinking with that and we start reducing pack sizes and display sizes and we start limiting what the shoppers can buy and what their selections are, if you're a retailer and you're selling X, your forecast is for Y, and all of a sudden the weather breaks, it's great weather, and you get hit, you're out of business at 3 o'clock, and we've all been in stores that have been out of business at 3 o'clock. Yeah. That helps nobody, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just... I think that there's a lot of details that are going to have to come out of this, how this is going to be enforced, what the expectations are as far as the food safety part of it before we go too much further down the road with it. And it scares me to death. 
Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now, a word from our sponsor. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations. This episode is sponsored by Shift Creative. Shift Creative brings a fresh approach to design and marketing. Shift's team of expert designers and strategists create content that connects and engages. Our clients are a collaborative part of our process, working directly with the creative team to build their award-winning projects. Specializing in branding, messaging, packaging, marketing, and websites with decades of experience serving the food, agricultural, service, and tech industries, Shift can help your brand to tell its story. Visit StartShifting.com to get started. Make a difference with your marketing. Freshen up with Shift Creative. Yeah, it does me as well, because, you know, I think about some of the instances they've had in the past about food safety where, you know, somebody got something out of a dumpster and all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. they got sick from that. And now it's back to the liability of the manufacturing mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with it being in a dumpster 25 states away. Well, I mean, I, I jokingly referenced the strike at, at, at Bonds in 2005. Well, they were throwing meat and dairy out in the trash cans at the time. And we got in trouble for that because you couldn't throw it out there because people were taking it out of the trash cans. Yeah. So they had to stop doing that. So, I mean, it, it's the, the food safety piece of this is, is, is gotta be huge. Cause again, you're taking food that's either out of code, well past freshness is already was dying when it was harvested and you're having to take it to someplace. So it has to stay in cold chain the whole time it's going somewhere and how it's being handled. Now, Nobody, as far as a food bank, is set up to handle that kind of volume and maintain that kind of cold chain. I mean, are they just going to take it onto a reefer, drop boxes off at people's houses and deliver? I mean, there's got to be some kind of transfer point and and working out all those details and how to maintain that. You know, from the farm, as far as um, the the, the off spec type items and things like that, that's easy. Those guys, you know, they can donate that to food banks and bins and things like that. But as far as the retailer piece of that equation goes, is there's a lot of steps in between all that to make that happen and make it feasible and make it work that save the time and effort, subsidize the retailers, give them some tax breaks so they can sell produce cheaper and make it easier so mom can buy more, feed her kids healthier and reduce shrink that way. Well, I wouldn't, you know, look at the end of the day, being able to increase consumption is uh, is what everybody's goal is. And I don't know, you know, and I worry about this as, as negatively impacting consumption. I really do, because to the point of what we talk about food safety, somebody gets sick from, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And it's just not fruit and veg like either. Right. It's going to be across the entire store. Yeah. So it's going to be dairy. It's going to be it's going to be cheeses. It's going to be meat. It's going to be fish. It's going to be a lot. And I'm, again, back to the whole concept. I think it's a really good thing. But you start getting people sick because of this, it's going to drastically affect consumption across the board. And I, I just, you know, I go back, I made fun of the California car thing, right? It's like, we got to go get electric cars. We can't plug them in at the same time, but we got to have them. I love the idea and, you know, the 35,000 foot thought on what they're trying to execute, but nobody's down on the ground level going, Hey, how are we going to pull this off? And by 2025, that's tomorrow in terms of logistics and coordination and, and getting stuff done. It's going to be a really big challenge. Yeah. I, I mean, we all know how hard it is to get things built and, and get infrastructure set up and, and get all this done. And it, it just, you know, you bring up all those points and all those departments and all that product going in the cross contamination and all these alarms just start going off in my head. And 
Yeah. The last thing you want is to try to save people and try to feed people, but end up killing people. You know, yeah. last thing anybody wants. And hopefully the powers that be will do their due diligence on this and, and make sure that they have things in place that don't cripple businesses and retailers and farmers even more from doing what they do best. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how this thing plays itself out. And again, all for the concept, but I think it's going to be an incredible challenge. Well, you know, thanks for kind of diving into this a little bit with me, because I think it's an incredibly important topic that people kind of recognize because it's going to affect somebody growing apples in, in Yakima as much as somebody growing a carrot in Michigan, as somebody doing a blueberry in North Carolina that may come this direction. It is going to be something that we all have to be cognizant of and we need to start talking about. And I don't see the industry doing it. So I'm glad we have a little time to kind of get everybody's heads wrapped around it a little bit and see what kind of reactions we get when we drop the broadcast and see what folks are saying. As we wind down our time a little bit today, tell me what's, what's exciting coming up for the rest of the year for you. I mean, you know, besides having to figure out how to do, uh, you know, figure out how you're going to fit 1383, what that's going to mean. <laughs> I think, you know, for me, and that's always been the beauty about produce and that's what got me hooked on it so many years ago is it's constantly changing. It's a, a new battle every day. It's, Mother Nature, for everything she takes away, she gives you something else. And trying to spin on that and trying to think your way through that. I mean, we just went, you know, months without strawberries at a decent supply. Now, all of a sudden, Mother Nature's cooperated. Strawberries are coming on. You know, now it's we can get after it and be aggressive and have some fun with things. I think the year lines up. Water is not an issue anymore, you know, so, so we don't have to think about that so much anymore. Obviously, this most of what this year is going to be is already in the ground and done. But for next year, I think the opportunities are going to be fantastic. Um, you know, I, I think it's just the fun that summer always brings to a produce guy. That's a career produce guy. Uh, I, I just always wait for it. I mean, you always know it starts off with apricots then it goes into cherries and you get Mexican grapes and then you're full on into it. And you're just having a, it's it's really a great time to be a produce guy. Um, well, it's fun because then because then you you know the, the cherry on the Sundays you get to Thanksgiving right you go through the fall and bam. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then yeah, I agree. There's you know the FPFC event here this Thursday is always great. You know get to see all the all the folks down there. You know and there's some other industry things. You got the OPS coming up in in May the the West Coast Expo. You oh. know and then obviously the. IFPA coming in October is it back in Anaheim this year. So excited. I don't have to fly cross country for that one this year. Yeah, no doubt. Road trip. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always fun. I mean, just the way this industry changes, adapts and, and makes things work. I mean, we get thrown curveballs every year. We get knocked off the plate every year and, and we always get right back in the box, dig our feet in and figure out some way to get that runner in from second base. And it's just, that's that's what got me hooked on this business and that's what's kept me in this business all this time uh, is just the the ability to be creative and to think your way around things and to have a lot of fun when you're doing it yeah no doubt brother that's good advice right there that's all we can end on that i'm good i wrap that up right there on that i appreciate you man yeah absolutely well, i appreciate you being here today i appreciate you hanging out and sharing a little bit and giving some people some insight not only about what Grocery Outlet's about, because I think it's a really interesting chain for people to pay attention to if they don't, and especially the fact that you're 440-something stores in, you're around the country, family-owned and operated around the country, which is pretty cool to talk about. So I appreciate you being here. And then, obviously, thanks for talking about SB 1383. And again, if you don't know, you need to know, because 
you're gonna have to figure out how to plug that in too. <laughs> into your backyard sooner than you think. Yeah, no, coming to coming to a meeting in your office very soon. <laughs> That's what that is. Coming to a meeting near you. But right. I appreciate you being here, brother. I really do. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll see you. Absolutely. Yeah, brother. Thanks, everybody, for being here. We appreciate you. Take care of each other. Remember, like I always tell you, go inspire somebody. It's incredibly important. Saying hello to somebody can make their day. It's not a bad way to go through life, inspiring people. Give it a shot. I guarantee you'll get hooked on it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on social media, TLC underscore conversation. Do you know why I'm on social media, Daniel? Because everything on social media is a fact. good on camera. Well, that's true too, but that's besides the point. That's a whole separate conversation. <laughs> but everything on social media is real. I've come to realize that there's nobody on social media that tells a lie. Can you the believe that? The internet never lies. The internet never lies? I agree with that. It's unbelievable. Anyway, thanks for being here, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. God bless. Have a good day.